um, the book of Luke, Luke chapter 23, Luke chapter 23, and um, amen. I just want to start out this morning by talking to you, amen. I'm sure we'll do some teaching and some preaching along the way, but um, let's just begin here in um, Luke 23, verse 39. Let me go ahead and read the text, maybe a minute or two before we comment on it, but Luke 23, verse 39, it says, Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, we've kind of gotten spread out a little bit in our Sunday morning study, and, and that's okay. The, the Holy Spirit is helping us and leading us. And the main thing is that we want to begin to connect some of these different pieces that we've been working on together. And I call it connecting the dots. And Sometimes we learn about a little something over here, and then we learn about a little something else over here, and then a little bit of something over here. But if we're not careful, we never understand how all of those things are connected and related together. Now, our main course of study is from what the Bible teaches us about our oneness with God, that we have been created by God to have personal fellowship with Him. That He created us in such a way as to be able to share Himself with us, and He created us in such a way as for us to be able to share ourselves with Him. We said that the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they are an eternal community without beginning, without end, and they exist in absolute communion. In other words, everything that they have within themselves, they share with one another. And it was this God who created you and me to invite us into and give us the opportunity to have the same fellowship. For instance, 1 John says that we've been invited to have the same fellowship with Father God that Jesus himself enjoys with him. And I know that these are you know, some astonishing things, uh, especially if you've never heard them Um, Or, you know, sometimes we read things in the Bible and we don't even really understand or realize what it is that we're reading, what it is that the Bible's saying to us. And so we've been gradually unfolding some of these things. But if we've learned anything over the years, we've learned that there are certain things that have to be in place in our hearts first in order to support other truths that we find in the Scriptures. My classic example, my go-to example for this has to do with the beginning days of Heritage Christian Center. And we came in, sleeves rolled up, ready to teach people what belonged to them because of who they are in Christ Jesus. But what we quickly learned is that until someone knows who they are in Christ Jesus, there's nothing in place in their hearts to support what belongs to them because of who they are in Christ Jesus. And so over the years, we have tried to be consistent in doing both, teaching people who they are 
And then once we know who we are in Christ, there's a foundation to rest upon in our hearts what belongs to us because of who we are in Christ Jesus. And so in the same way, this lofty yet biblically based teaching of our oneness with God, there has to be some things in place in our hearts for it to rest upon or else we will hear it and yet not benefit from it. And it's one thing to hear the scriptures, it's one thing to hear the Word of God, but it's another thing to be able to take the ball and run with it, so to speak. And I'm not here to waste your time or my time. Uh, you know, so understand, I want you to benefit from what we do together on Sunday mornings. I want it to be things that impact your heart and, and, and make a difference in your life. And, 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 you know, I don't think that we're asking Father too much for, for that to take place every time we're together, for Him to feed us um, with His Word by the Holy Spirit, the things that our hearts are hungry for, uh, and, and to help us develop in the way that He created us to develop. As I held Oliver uh, in my arms over these last couple of days, you know, I'm enjoying him so much, you know, as a newborn baby, but there are other things that I look forward to enjoying with him as he grows. There are other things that I want to experience, uh, places I want to take him, things that I want to do with him, amen, that will not be possible until he grows and develops and matures to the point that we can enjoy and experience those things together. So when we talk about our oneness with God, this is ultimately why he paid such a, first of all, it's why he created you. And then it's why he paid such a high price to redeem us and recreate us in Christ Jesus was so that we could enjoy ultimately that oneness with him and him enjoy it with you and me. And so this requires then some growth on our part, uh, some development on our part, some maturing on our part in order for us to understand that and begin to reciprocate uh, back to Him the love that He has freely given to us. Do you understand that right now? I mean, Oliver right now, a newborn baby, he has no idea how much he's loved. Are you understand? He, I mean, that youngin is loved, but he has no idea how much, right? I'll never forget um, a friend of mine when I was, I don't know how old I was, probably around 14. He, he had his first child and with tears in his eyes. And he wasn't a guy that had many tears in his eyes as far as I knew of. And, and he looked at me and he said, you'll never know how much your, he just, he and his wife just had their first baby. He said, you'll never know how much your parents love you until you have your own child. And that stuck with me. It was some years later before Bethany was born. But man, I remember him telling me that just like it was two days ago or whatever, you know. And, and so obviously, you know, once you have your own child, then you like realize how, how your parents actually feel and felt about you, you know, when, when you were born. And so, but again, let's go back to it. Oliver has no idea how much he's loved right now. He doesn't have the capacity or the maturity to understand or comprehend that. All he knows is, you know, he needs a diaper change and needs to be fed. And he doesn't even know how to ask for that, right? But that love is there for him. But as he grows and develops, he'll be able to experience and enjoy more of that love. 
And in the same way, I don't think any of us in here fully understand how much we're loved this morning, how much our Heavenly Father loves us, His heart for us, His desires for you, the the plans and the purposes and and, and the destiny that He has for you. And, And He knows that it's only as we grow in our understanding of His love for us that we're able to begin to, to enjoy and experience and participate with Him in these things for which we were created and then recreated in Christ Jesus to enjoy and experience. Amen. Just if I could simplify some things for you this morning. Father makes us one with Jesus through the new birth. And then Jesus turns around and makes us one with the Father. When, we're, when we receive the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father makes us one with Jesus and then Jesus makes us one with the Father. Now, if you're here this morning and you've been born again, you have already, through the new birth, become one with Jesus and one with the Father. Now, the Holy Spirit is teaching us how to live as one with Him. I, wanna, I know we've covered this a couple of different ways, but I want to make sure that you understand this. There's nothing that you could do, no money you could pay. You could never be good enough. You could never go to church enough. You could never read the Bible enough. Amen. To, to become one, to be given this privilege to become one with God the Father. It is, it is a gift that has been given to us. And as we've said in a couple of different ways as well, it's a gift that we don't really know what to do with. We've got to learn how to function and we've got to learn what is required of us in order to enjoy and experience this gift. Not what, not what is required of you to receive this gift, but what is required of you to experience and enjoy this gift. Jesus began to teach us these things while He was here on the earth, but then He passed the baton to the Holy Spirit. And we see that salvation is not based upon works, but walking in the fullness of who we became and what we have been given requires the right attitude and efforts on our part. It's it's not about what you've got to do to earn salvation. Salvation is a free gift. But if we're going to walk in the fullness of who we became and the fullness of what belongs to us now as God's offspring in the earth, it is going to require an attitude, a right attitude, and it is going to require effort on our part. And I believe giving God the place He deserves in your life is among the most important things you can ever learn and grow in. Now there are those who are very religiously minded. There are those who, and, and, the, and the technical term for it is legalistic. Have you ever heard that expression? Legalistic? Legalism? And, and what legalistic people believe is that if you don't do this, 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 and this for at least this period of time, you're not saved. Or if you've been saved and somehow you stop doing this, 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 and that for this period of time, you may have been saved in the past, but you're not saved any longer. Please, 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 the Bible does not teach that. That is simply not the case. Are there things that we need to learn? Are there things that we need to do? Are there things that we need to progress and grow in? Absolutely. But those things are not requirements for salvation. 
They're what our salvation finally puts us in the position to be able to achieve and to be able to reach for and to be able to aspire to. The Apostle Paul said it this way, I now reach to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. It's not until Christ Jesus has laid hold of you that, that the things that, that you were created for are now within reach. The, 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 uh, the imagery for me is when a child is trying to shoot a ball in a, in, in a basketball into a goal and he's not tall enough, but if someone picks him up and lifts him up, now what was previously out of reach is within reach and the, and the kid can make a basket that he would have never been able to make unless, make unless someone grabbed hold of him, laid hold of him. Amen. And so what, what we're saying here is that are there things that are out of reach for us? Amen. Absolutely. Oneness with God? Are you kidding me? That's, there's no way we could ever uh, reach for that or aspire to that unless the Lord Jesus Christ lays hold of you. So now that He has laid hold of you, He has put within reach things that were previously out of reach. But notice also what Paul said about that. He said that He now presses, He now reaches, He now strives to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of Him. So there are things that belong to you they're yours, they're given to you as a gift, but it's going to require the right attitude and the right effort on your part, on my part, if we're ever going to lay hold of those things, experience those things, enjoy those things in our life reality. I cannot, I cannot tell you this loud enough or long enough. Amen. So when we talk about giving God the place that He deserves in our lives, this is not about trying to condemn you because you haven't been. This is not about trying to put shame on us because we, we've been loafing around and lazying around and not doing what God you know, expects of us. And, and these sort of, it's, that's, it's not about that. I'm not saying that, that, that we shouldn't be convicted. And, and a lot of people over the last couple of weeks as we've been talking about this have reached out to me to say, hey, Pastor Mark, I just want you to know this is really speaking to me. The Lord's really speaking to me through this, this message. But again, this is not about to shame you or make you to feel guilty. It's about, it's about us learning what we need to do in order to experience and, 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 and enjoy all that belongs to us now as God's offspring in the earth. Not just for your benefit, but for His the Bible talks about all the things that God did for certain people for His namesake, not for their namesake, not for their benefit and blessing, but for God's benefit and blessing. He loves you. Your sin separated, him from, uh, separated you from Him. It didn't change His love for you. That's why He died for you to take that sin out of the picture so that you could be free to come back to Him and be restored into oneness with Him. Jesus said it this way, come and I will give. What did He say? I'll give you rest. But then He also said, learn and you will find. Come and I'll give you rest, learn and you will find rest. And so again, this verse so captures what it is that we're dealing with this morning in our lives, in our relationship with God, in our Christian walk. We've come to the Lord and He's given. We've come to the Lord and He's blessed us. Now it's, it's a matter of learning so that we can find what it is that is now ours. Now, I read to you this morning from the account of Jesus' crucifixion. 
And let me, I want to just come in there and talk to you for a minute. I'm bringing my Bible with me. Is everybody good this morning? There are so many different things connected with Jesus's trial and, and the kangaroo court that, that he was involved in. I mean, they, they brought witnesses in to lie. They had to bring in so many witnesses for they finally got somebody to say something that they could use to accuse him falsely. And of course, all the different details and all the different people that were involved. But in Luke's gospel, we see that Jesus was not crucified alone. And as was the case when Romans would do executions, they would, they would do many executions. And it just so happens that Jesus was crucified in between. His cross stood in between the crosses of two men who had been con convicted of, of thievery, of stealing, and, um, and they also were punished to death. Now, these were public executions. The Roman Empire did it this way to, to, to uh, instill fear into people. They wanted, they wanted folks to see what happened to somebody who, who stole things or who committed some kind of crime. And, and so they would you know, usually put some kind of uh, signage or something up over their heads, you know, call people a robber or a thief or whatever so that people could see this is what happens to a thief. And, and they were spectacles, morbid curiosity, whatever. People would come to, uh, to these executions to, to, to watch them. And, and no doubt, given Jesus' popularity, there was a huge crowd. I believe a larger crowd than normal on the day that Jesus was crucified in between these two thieves. Now, we also see that it wasn't enough for them to, to, to hurt Jesus, torture Him in the way that they did physically, but now they're also shouting insults and mockery at Him and, and laughing at Him and... and um, if you've ever been made fun of and laughed at, I'm not trying to trivialize it, amen. Uh, I'm not trying to trivialize what Jesus was going through, but I don't think any person in this room likes, likes to be made fun of, trivialized, or laughed at. And again, you've got to realize Jesus is hanging there with no clothes on. He's naked. And so, you know, what he did for us, the shame that he took for us, the, the ridicule that he took for us, because again, um, sin, the Bible says, makes a mockery out of people. And so Jesus didn't just endure our, our sin. He endured the mockery and the shame of it, despising the shame, the Bible says, but, but enduring it nonetheless. And this making fun of him and ridiculing him, it had, it had become you know, such a thing that now we see one of the thieves next to Jesus, the same fate, amen, being executed by a Roman cross, he's dealing with that. He decides that he's going to say some words to Jesus as well. Now, I want you to pay close attention to what he says. 
Verse 39, Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. Now, this was basically what was being said by some of those in the crowd. If we back up um, to verse 35, And the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. So this was, you know, what was happening. This was the the atmosphere, if you will, the, the tone of all of this. And so the thief beside Jesus... He joins in the blasphemy with a question, if you are the Christ, save yourself and others. I mean, save yourself and us. Now, in our day and age, let's say, uh, let me... Let me try to personalize this, okay? Let's say you've got a neighbor who doesn't know Jesus knocks on your door this afternoon and says, um, I heard that you're a Christian. You go down to that Heritage Christian Center, so that must mean you're a Christian. Um, I, I've never been saved. What, what must I do to be saved? Okay. Well, I hope that every person in this room would know what to do. Amen. Obviously, there is a prayer that needs to be prayed. Um, There is faith that needs to be exercised because we know that we're saved by faith. But there is a lot of confusion in the body of Christ today as to exactly what it is a person needs to say in order to be saved. Are you following me? Now, Romans, the 10th chapter says that in order for a person to be saved, they, they must believe in their heart and then confess with their mouth that Jesus is the Son of God and that God the Father has raised Him from the dead. And so that is the go-to for a lot of people. And, and again, if, if you want to be certain about it, I would certainly uh, help a person, lead a person in a prayer to God that involves them believing in their heart and confessing out of their mouth those simple things. But the Bible teaches, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, we see that there was a thief on the other side of Jesus who in essence comes to Jesus' defense. He's been hanging there, suffering, listening to all this that was being directed towards Jesus. We have no record, we have no indication of him opening his mouth when that was happening. But what pushed him over the edge was when the guy on the other side, who had basically committed the same crimes that he had committed, not Jesus, but the other thief, when that guy opened his mouth, that that was just too much for this other thief. And he says, but the other, verse 40, answering rebuked him 
saying, do you not even fear God? Can I give you the New England International Translation of this? What's wrong with you, man? Are you crazy? Are you, are you really that stupid? I mean, he's like, enough's enough, man. It's one thing for these religious Pharisees to be making fun of Jesus and, and laughing at him. But now all of a sudden you're hanging on a cross right there beside him and, and you're going to make fun of him? Do you not even fear God? Seeing you are under the same condemnation and we indeed justly what is he saying? He's saying, me and you deserve what we're getting, buddy. We did the crime. And now we're paying the price. For, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. This man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, there's something here that we need to see. And I am so thankful that these details were recorded in Luke's Gospel. First of all, they serve as biblical evidence that although water baptism is important, it is not a prerequisite for going to heaven. Because clearly this man was not baptized in water and yet he received a gift of salvation and will be one that we get to meet one day in heaven. But did not both of these men, both thieves, in their own way, did they not ask to be saved? And there was the first thief who was making fun of Jesus, blaspheming, he said, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. In other words, he would, not have he would not have refused Jesus getting him off that cross that day. He would not have refused if Jesus had have come off of that cross, put all those Roman soldiers on their back, brought all those being crucified with him off of their crosses, and then healed their wounds. And trust me, Jesus had the power to do that. So it wasn't that only one thief technically asked for help. Both technically asked for help. But only one received help. And so what was the difference? The difference, of course, was the attitude of their hearts. Now let's go back to that neighbor who knocks on your door this afternoon and says, hey, what must I do to be saved? 
You could, and, and would be technically right, you could say, just ask Jesus to remember you when he goes into his kingdom. Because was that not what the thief prayed on, on the other side of Jesus? Was that not what, were those not the words that came out of his mouth? So again, I'm trying to show you here that receiving salvation is more than just, you know, saying five or ten or two sentences worth of magic words. What I offer to you this morning is that it wasn't necessarily the words that he spoke, but the attitude of the heart from which they came. First of all, he recognized that Jesus, although he was suffering the same plight, he was suffering this, the same uh, uh, torture as him and the other thief, that Jesus did not deserve it. Let me say it another way. That Jesus deserved better or he deserved more than what they were getting. They deserved their punishment. Jesus did not deserve this. He then says something to that other guy. He says, do you not fear God? Do you not fear God? In other words, is there not anything you respect? Is there not anything that you honor? Is there, is there not anything that's sacred to you? Is there not anything that, that, that you value? The first thief who was making fun, he asked for help, but notice, he was only concerned with himself. He was only focused on his pain, his misery, and who he might could get to help him, what angle he might be able to work, what loophole he might be able to exploit or manipulate or, 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 or somehow, some way, get out of that bind he was in. The thief on the other side of Jesus, he was suffering just like Jesus and just like the other thief, but notice, he's now taken his eyes off of himself and his predicament, his suffering, and he actually comes in defense of Jesus. Meaning what? He took, him, he took his eyes off of himself and put his eyes on Jesus. He's no longer so absorbed in his own pain and suffering and plight and regret and, oh my God, why did I get caught? Or, oh my God, you know, why did I steal that stuff? He's, he's there in that moment. But notice, he has the wherewithal to break this stranglehold of selfishness in this moment of his death and look over to Jesus and realize Jesus does not deserve this. So what is he doing? He's taking his eyes off himself. He's putting his eyes on Jesus now. And then he does. You have to look carefully for it. But he takes Jesus from being someone who is just like him and the other thief. And he gives Jesus a higher place. He gives him a higher place. We're worthy of this. Jesus is not. And he says that four-letter word. Lord. Lord, remember me when you go into your kingdom. Lord, remember me when you go into your kingdom. Jesus says, 
today, today you will be with me in paradise. Now the Bible tells us very clearly that no man can call him Lord but what? But by the Holy Ghost. But something, and this is what I want you to see because what is true of this thief on the cross who received salvation, by the way, received it on credit. He received salvation before Jesus was, was buried and raised from the dead to be able to confess that he believed in his heart that he was raised from the dead. Are you following what I'm saying? So I'm not trying to belittle in any way a, a prayer that, that needs to be prayed to receive salvation. But I think sometimes we get so focused on saying the right words that we miss the right attitude of our heart. Amen. Are you still with me this morning? I feel some of you slipping away. We miss the importance of, of the attitude of the heart. I don't remember exactly, but, but Gloria Copeland, years ago when she got born again, she basically said, Jesus, if you can do anything with my life, would you please take my life and do something with it? Now, that's not a Romans 10 prayer. That's not even a remember me when you entered your kingdom. You know, in other words, she didn't necessarily even ask for salvation. She didn't even use the word, will you save me, right? But she called upon the name of the Lord from a heart, right? She didn't know all these things. She didn't know what Romans 10 said. She didn't know the, the, there's a legalistic prayer. You got it. None of that, right? But from her heart, she recognized that there was a God and, and that He could perhaps help her and, and that she needed Him. And she cried out to him from a sincere heart and just simply said, if you can do something with my life, would you please take it and, and do something with it? Called on the name of the Lord, right? Jesse Duplantis kneeled down at a urinal. He had seen Billy Graham on TV and was fixing to go play a rock and roll show and went into the men's restroom. And the Holy Spirit, again, dealing with him, right? Knelt down in the men's bathroom and just called on the name of the Lord. And of course... The Father met him there. Jesus met him there. He was born again. Born again. Salvation flowed to the thief on the cross the moment he recognized and elevated Jesus above himself. The moment he recognized, I deserve it, Jesus doesn't. I'm a sinner, he's not. And called him Lord. Why am I trying to show you this this morning? Because it's not hard. What makes it hard is when we try to operate in the blessings of God without giving God the place he deserves in our lives. When we don't give him place, the things that we long for in our lives and, and need His help with never flow freely into us as He desires for them to flow. Amen. Amen. Singers and musicians, come on. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Stand with me this morning. Praise God.
Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> Thank you, Jesus. Fathers, we stand before you this morning. We ask you to search our hearts, Lord. We ask you, Father, this morning to help us see things in our lives that we've been blinded to. Father, we ask that you show us ways that we need to do better when it comes to giving you the place that you deserve in our lives. Father, that we would take it more seriously than we've ever taken it in our lives. Father, the things that you've put before us. The opportunities, the potential that you've invested within us and the opportunities, Father, that you have made available to us, Lord, that we might, as the Apostle Paul, reach for those things to lay hold of those things for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of us. Father, show us where we're putting other people in places in our lives that only you deserve. Show us, Father, where we're putting other things in places in our lives where only you should belong, where you, only you should be. Show us, Father, where we're putting ourselves, our own desires, in places in our lives ahead of you. Father, we know that you're not here to condemn us. You're not here to shame us. You're here to help us and to love us and to teach us how to respond to this greatest gift that's ever been given. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's sing together before we dismiss this morning.